Welcome to Let's Connect. My name is Keith McPherson, and I'm so glad you've decided to join me for this next episode. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by two incredibly creative individuals who started a company called Uphouse. Uphouse is a marketing agency that was started by Kirsten May and Alex Vericchio, and they are here to speak today about how to think outside of the box and be more creative in your life, along with their brand new book that just came out called The Proximity Paradox. We have so much to discuss on this episode, you don't want to miss it. So sit back, relax, and let's connect. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Let's Connect. I hope you're having a great week. I uh, am so looking forward to a conversation today with Kirsten and Alex from this incredible marketing agency in my hometown of Winnipeg called Uphouse. Um, I've had the pleasure of sitting in on a few um, marketing meetings with Uphouse in the past, and being with these two creative minds in the same room is electric. They uh, recently put out this book called The Proximity Paradox, and I've been reading through it, and every time I read it, I can't put it down. It's got so many amazing points in it um, to think outside of your regular routines and outside of your box. They're here to speak about the book today and how you can become more creative in your business and also in your, your life. I think this applies to everybody. So if you're, you're feeling a little bit uh, blocked artistically, or maybe it's just kind of mundane in your life, this will be a good conversation to start listening in on to, um, to apply to your life. One of the things I love about this is, you know, they come from a business perspective as a marketing agency, but, uh, you know, a lot of what we, we do in business can also be applied to our personal lives, and a lot of the principles are the same. So this is going to be really, really interesting conversation to, to share with you today. Before we, we get into the conversation at hand, I also wanted to just encourage you to subscribe to the podcast. Make sure that uh, you don't miss an episode by subscribing. And also, if you're interested, I, um, I send out a, a daily intention email every morning. Speaking of creativity, this is a way to uh, think outside of the box. Every morning, I send out a positive, inspirational intention that gets your day started. And uh, so feel free to subscribe to that as well at keithmcpherson.ca. And uh, with that being said, I think we're going to jump right in because I'm excited to get creative and uh, hear all about this book. So without further ado, please meet Kirsten and Alex from Uphouse. All right, this very exciting episode I've been talking about. Alex and Kirsten are here from Uphouse, and we have so much to discuss. I've been totally hooked on your book. Every time I open it, I, I can't put it down. It's speaking to me on so many levels, and uh, so I'm so excited you're here. Thanks for, for joining me on the podcast. Thanks Thank for having you so us. much. Yeah, this is great. This is actually, I think, the first time I've had two guests on at the same time as well, so this will be kind of an interesting uh, chance to just dance and see what happens. Um, <laughs> I'm curious. I mean, I know a little bit about your background, but you two have such a dynamic just in a few meetings that I've sat in on with you guys. How did you guys first begin working together? So, yeah, we actually, I guess, Kirsten, what has it been? Probably, well, probably eight years now that we've been connected. It could have been five. It could be eight. I'm not, I'm not Yeah, I know. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Got to think back Somewhere to when in, uh, I started at ThinkShift. I think maybe it was 2013. So, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so about seven seven years. So yeah, yeah we worked together pretty closely at uh, a past agency we worked at together. And um, I think we just found, like, we would often walk home together and uh, sort of just chat about, I don't know, perspectives on things, creativity, all those sorts of, uh, lots of conversations. And 
I think we just had a really good rhythm together. I think from the, from the very beginning and there was a lot of strengths uh, that balanced each other out. And once yeah. I think we sort of connected and I, th- I don't know, I think it just sort of professionally went kind of went from there. Wow. And also humble brag, we came up with some pretty awesome advertising campaigns together. So when you have a good brainstorm buddy, you do not let that person go. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, there's definitely chemistry between you two when when you're working together in the uh, the marketing field. I um I'm also curious just as a bit of a background for listeners, Uphouse. I mean, I've had a little bit of experience uh, just being in a few meetings with you guys, but Uphouse, just the concept of Uphouse, what it is, how it came about, um what made you leave your your jobs uh, <laughs> to start this incredible company? Yeah, I think, I mean, we've seen a pretty significant change in just the in the agency landscape over the last decade. I think the 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 switch from sort of in house spending and marketing spending has gone up, you know, by fifty percent. A lot more organizations are seeing value in building these comprehensive, you know, internal marketing teams. And I think we we ultimately saw an opportunity for us to sort of get closer to those teams and really to start creating sort of a, a unique business that sort of lied, we always say it's sort of halfway between a, a traditional advertising and marketing agency and and being a member of somebody's in-house team, which is where, you know, Uphouse came from, which was the idea of elevating in-house and, and really looking at the creatives that are there, the marketers that are there, and seeing how we can help them sort of unlock, un, you know, unlock the opportunities within their own organizations and, and give them that sort of important, all important outside perspective that they may need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the timing was just right. Like Alex is very entrepreneurial. And um, I mean, Keith, you talked about how you've been reading our book and you've probably seen all sorts of funky stories in there about the neat businesses that Alex started as a kid. So I think um, it was kind of just, you know, you, I know for me personally, uh, starting in agencies when I finished college and I really love the work and people would ask me, do you ever think you'd start your own agency? And for years, I was like, no way, it'd be way too hard. But then as you advance in your career, and I think just become more confident as a professional and as a creative, you start to realize like, hey, yeah, I could do this. And so I think that transition had sort of just taken place where it was a a good time to go out on our own. And I think we also wanted the opportunity to kind of like put up our own IP or our own products or kind of like put a bit of a twist on the traditional service agency model and starting your own business is a great way to have the opportunity and the headspace and resources to kind of focus on those passion projects. So it was just the right timing to do that. And and we were fortunate where we had like a lot of support from our family and friends and our colleagues as well to make that switch. That's fantastic. Alex, just, I want to go back just for a minute to um, just the early days of your life where you were uh, do, making all of these sort of startup company ideas. Can, can you just share a few of them with, with our listeners so they can yeah, uh, get yeah. a sense of your mind? <laughs> sure. I did. I think that's the first one. I mean, it was, they were all ridiculous. I don't know if I look back at them, but I think the first one was selling painted rags uh, on the, I, I had a friend named, I have a friend named Trina that we were, we were young. I think we were three or four at the time. And basically set up a booth on the street and sold painted rags, which of course a painted dish rag, once you use it is no longer painted. So it wasn't the best, best use of, uh, of resources, but, and then from there did a TLC pet and plant care, printed a bunch of flyers and then taught piano lessons that, you know, kind of promoted that as well. And then moved into, I, I had a hamster when I was in like grade five and then thought, Oh, a few, I knew some other friends who wanted hamsters. So thought might as well sell hamsters. So I started breeding and selling hamsters. And then I ended up selling those to pet stores uh, in Calgary at the time as well. But just, I mean, again, kind of a weird kid for sure. But then I just kind of <laughs> continued on, you know, 
raise livestock into into high school and then you know just sort of i guess soap company as well just kind of progressed into some strange things over time but always just like just you know just like the potential of starting ideas and seeing where they can go and i think marketing and brand is so nice because it ties into that really well like all of those things really there's so much opportunity when you when you start a business to, to brand it and position it the right way and promote it so i think that was kind of the most fun part of all of those those projects for sure Wow, that's incredible. I'm just curious if there was anybody that influenced you to to think that way, like just to to show up that way. You said weird kid, but I think it's like genius kid. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think I mean, yeah. I don't know. I, but definitely family. We've got I've got a big family, and we would always kind of do fun things together. And you know, we're fairly creative. Everyone in my family is pretty creative, and parents definitely encourage creativity and encourage sort of that. They were also they, my parents owned a, a mixed animal veterinarian clinic. Um, and so we were kind of part of that and worked in that clinic a lot. So we sort of saw that entrepreneur, you know, entrepreneurship in action over the years. And, and I think they just really sort of, you know, foster all those things and support it. I remember making like little business plans for the, for the hamster business and presenting it to my parents. Cause it's kind of gross having like six hamsters in your room. Like you got to make sure that they, you know, keep them clean. And, you know, they were pretty supportive and of all of these different things to try and, and go. And I think they, they saw value in just sort of just trying it to try it and see see where it works in the kind of the process of completing that. And I think that's a really, it's a very, really valuable lesson to go through and just start something, whether or not it's successful, but just go through the process of actually starting launching and, and completing that. You learn a lot through that process. Wow. How about you, Kirsten? I'm just curious, your, your background in terms of how you got into this whole creative field. Um, well, I didn't have a hamster breeding business, I think. Uh, but Alex and I do connect because we're both like small town rural kids. So I grew up in a rural community just south of Winnipeg and we had a hobby farm. So we had like all kinds of critters in our backyard, but I just enjoyed them. I didn't like try to make businesses (laughs) of them. Um, But I, yeah, my dad was a writer. And so I always really loved writing and kind of found my way to advertising and copywriting that way. And then I took the creative communications program at Red River College and just loved it. And then started working in agencies like right out of college. And I liked the people, like the, the people in, in this industry are so good, like so fun. They're creative folks with like all kinds of different unique interests and hobbies. And, uh, and I like the work and I say it's the kind of job where you can experience multiple careers from the comfort of your own. And I love that part. Like I'm very nerdy that way, (laughs) kind of like the more niche the client industry, the better I like it. Like if, uh, an agronomist is going to talk to me about like soil fertility. I'm just in there like a dirty shirt and I don't know what it is. It's just like fascinating to me. So I think that's what I like, like what attracted me to this industry and why I continue to love it. Wow. That's incredible. Hearing you both talk about it too. It's just so amazing how like the early influences in our life and just also who we show up as children seem to really determine where we end up in our, our professional lives too. Um, I love your creative minded thinking, like just the way that both of you show up and especially in the business workplace. And I'm curious, um, we'll probably get more into this as we get into talking about the the contents of your book. But um, I find too, as a creative, like being in sort of the corporate business sector, sometimes that can really cut people off from their creativity in many ways. Mm. I'm curious what that's like for, for both of you in terms of how do you maintain your creativity while dealing with sort of that linear-minded critical thinking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's actually like, that's an ongoing struggle for us, I think. Um, like we will often talk about like if we go through maybe a really heavy business development season or 
like around tax time when you're really into the operational side of the business and then you have to brainstorm a campaign. It's almost like going back to the gym after taking some time away. Like it's like your, your muscles, like your mental muscles feel like kind of achy and it's like things aren't firing like they used to, but it's like going to the gym. It's just practice and routine and that it gets a little easier every time you sit down to do it. So, you know, it might take us an extra like 30 minutes or an extra hour, or an extra two hours um, after kind of like a heavier linear period to get into that like lateral thinking uh, zone and come up with some cool concepts, but it, it is for sure doable. I think we just have the luxury in our business of, of that, that being our business. So we do protect the time for that where I think maybe in some other industries, it's harder for people to protect the time for that creative thinking. And I think that's a t- really good point. Too. It's amazing even how, I think even within our own business, how sort of creativity can start to, to drop down the scale of what we sort of deem as most important. And I think like you're sort of saying, you get sort of, you know, you're focused on business development or focused on strategy development. And, and meanwhile, it's like the creative is the thing that we're going to develop that's actually going to connect with people. And it's, it feels silly to do this. And I think, it, and you know, we talk about this quite a lot in the book, but as adults, it feels really silly to spend time talking about, you know, what if ideas or what, you know, what's the possibility for this campaign or what kind of message can we develop here? it takes sort of, it takes time, like, you know, like Kirsten said, and it sort of, it falls outside of that typical structure of scheduling a 30 minute meeting into the day. And it's, it's hard sometimes to like, to balance between that. And we say, you know, in an agency setting, it's, it's easier to do that still. But, you know, we, we deal with a lot of people on a daily basis. And this is something that, you know, people say a lot that, you know, in-house create creatives or marketers are less creative or innovative than agency creatives and marketers. And we said, essentially, it's, that's just not true. It's just that, you know, they're, they've got more resourcing things to look at. They've got more, you know, execution to look at. There's just, it's yeah. tough to sort of make time for it. And it's tough to feel like when you're working on it, it's something that is actually of value. And I think, yeah. you know, I, I'm always amazed with that, even in an agency setting, how it can quickly drop down, drop down the line of, of priority when it really should be very, you know, at the very top. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so much research that's coming out now and just people are finding in their studies that, you know, the more creatively you can think about your business, um, and especially now, you mentioned this in the book too, I mean, you have to think creatively out of the box, uh, the more effective mm-hmm. you're going to be and more successful. Um, but I'm curious too, why your perspective on why are we so trained to be in that sort of box of the linear thinking or that sort of you know, narrow-minded, we've got to meet the bottom line, get to the end result quickly. We don't have time to sit around and just uh, play games and create. Why are mm-hmm. we Why are we conditioned that way, in your perspective? I mean, I, I think a lot of it just comes down to people having a lot of things on their plate and that we're trying to sort of, we're always trying to be efficient. We're trying to make sure we can get, we've got to get 20 things done in an eight-hour period, you know, during the day. And it's hard to sort of schedule in creativity. And creativity doesn't, like Kirsten said, you know, sometimes we'll sit down and we can develop a concept in 10 minutes if something comes really quickly. Or sometimes, you know, it can end up taking you, you know, five days and you're, you know, keep coming back at it, keep coming back at it. And it's, it's hard to sort of schedule some of those things in. And I think that, I mean, that's a big part of it. And we don't necessarily, there's not, you know, a really amazing way to connect sort of dollar to message all the time and dollar to brand, like all those things, people are trying to do that. And, you know, obviously they understand on a base level that there's, you know, there's, dollar value behind brand dollar value behind sort of creativity, but it's harder to do that than, you know, looking at an operational side of your business, you know, where you can definitely, you know, equate those dollars a little more easily. 
Right. That makes sense. I, I'm curious back to the gym and the working out your, your creative brain when you've been in that sort of box. Uh, Kirsten, I'm curious, like, what are some ways that you would like prepare or, uh, to get back <laughs> in it or to, to move into some that creativity creative? hacks? Yeah. <laughs> how, what are some of the things you do? Uh, these are my two favorite one. Every time I see a great ad or marketing video on YouTube, I save it to a playlist. Uh, like a library that I can refer back to later and then you'll see you can look at it with a critical eye and see like what's the storytelling device or the the hook or the structure of that great ad and then that just gives you a framework to brainstorm within and then another one that anyone can do that is really easy is just to have like a Spotify mood playlist for the mood of the thing you need to create. So if you need to create something like really thoughtful and evocative, like maybe you need like a peaceful piano playlist, or if you want something like kind of peppy, like maybe you need like the girl power playlist. And it just like will help you get into the mindset of what you need to create. Like it'll either bring your energy down or your energy up. Um, so those are two really fast hacks that anyone can do that work actually really well. Oh, I love it. I love the uh, the music connection to this too. Yeah, just to be totally. To I knew you would. <laughs> integrate that energetic music side too. To it. How about yeah. you, Alex? Any any other suggestions of things you would do to just get kind of get in that creative thinking space? Yeah, we'll we'll often start a brainstorm, um, and it can be sometimes uncomfortable. We'll start a client brainstorm with a silly exercise, or you know, where you just do a quick brainstorm. You've got to draw a combination of you know two words on a wall and and, and show that to the group. I think a lot of it is just sort of breaking people that breaking down that sort of, I don't know, breaking down the wall that we always kind of enter a meeting with when we first do something. And, and you're coming at that room with all the things that you just had on your plate before that. And it's sometimes good just to do a hard reset at the very beginning. And we'll often too, we'll talk about just sort of ideas, you know, because people are really uncomfortable sort of just, you know, talking about ideas or throwing out ideas that may not be good. So we will often start a brainstorm too with just putting, you know, 10 bad ideas on the wall, sort of like yeah. what's the 10 worst ways that we could solve this campaign or this challenge. And people can put anything down and, and you know, more often than not, okay, those ideas, they just, you know, we move them aside. Sometimes we get inspiration from those ideas that then informs, you know, a different train of thinking. And sometimes it just helps put people in the right mood where they think, okay, now I'm going to, I'm just going to start throwing things out there and I feel a little braver to do that. So anything that can kind of break up your, break you from your last meeting that you're, you know, you're just coming from and, and put you in a mindset to, to change things up a little bit is always helpful. Amazing. Wow. So good. I, it reminds me of when I write songs and sometimes it's like my worst ideas end up being the hit. It's like, you know, oh, yeah. so, do you ever find that with your clients where totally. <laughs> the bad ideas end up being the best? Yeah. Or it's like yeah. a jumping off point to something else. But if, yeah. if you didn't put that bad idea out there, you never would have had that springboard. No. So bad ideas are important. And I think like, uh, I know if, Personally, when I was like new in this space, I was very protective of my ideas and what I was willing to say in a group because, you know, like any creative space is a reflection of the inner workings of your mind and that's a vulnerable space to be in and you're sometimes afraid to put your thoughts out there because people can kind of judge you based on that. But I think as you um, become more confident in what you have to offer, you get more comfortable throwing out bad ideas and you know it's like not a reflection of your creative ability that it's it, you're doing it for the group and and you are okay feeling a little dumb mm -hmm. sometimes wow what, <laughs> that's think, really important what you're saying yeah i think too there's kind of this idea of like we always think around ideas that it's you have to have sort of the whole piece of the idea and it's like there's oftentimes you know people in a brainstorm that are really good idea starters and they just kind of they're the bold ones that'll throw it like you know kirsten's a really good idea starter just kind of throw it throw anything out there and then we can then, and then you've got people in the room that are really good idea nurturers and they can sort of say, okay, what can we do with this idea that 
you know, what's a way to make this idea more workable for this particular, you know, campaign or whatever we need to develop. And then there's people that are really good at finishing ideas. And that's sort of like, it's kind of like construction in that way that you've got, you know, people with different skill set at each ones. And, and really, you know, it's that fine tuning at the end where it's like playing with a word or two that can actually make a total transformation of what you're trying to do. So it's, it's recognizing that we don't have to all be all things in those, you know, settings and just surrounding yourself with people that are, you know, really good at different stages of idea development can make Mm -hmm. a big difference. That's incredible. I I just totally admire too how much risk and how much confidence it takes to to sit in a room and to throw your full self into creativity. I mean, it, for a lot of people, like you say, I mean, a typical board meeting. You know, does anybody oh, have boy. any any yeah. any ideas? It's just like dead <laughs> silence. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. So to, to what you're what you're talking about, I think, is it seems so simple in conversation, but when you're actually in the experience of putting your ideas out creatively, it, it takes a lot of courage. It's something too that I I picked up on when I was reading through your book was just um, the words like taking the risk or like jumping and hoping the net's going to appear and like really trusting the process. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to talk about the book too, because it's really, really great. It's uh, the proximity paradox. And uh, at first, I I was kind of like trying to figure out what what this meant because um, you talk a lot about space in the book as well. But just in right. your words, like what is this, what is the proximity paradox? What is that? <laughs> we had to, of course, have a very complex literary title. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. For the nerds listening, we are talking about a literary paradox. Um, so yeah, it's the concept that something is not as it appears to be. And so I think there's a common concept in business that the people closest to a topic or an area of expertise or specialty or a challenge are the best qualified to solve that or do that work or come up with the next innovation in that space. But based on what we've seen, they are actually the least qualified. It's sort of a forest for the trees metaphor, if you will, that, uh, Normally, it takes someone distant from those challenges or distant from your space to see the really innovative or creative ways over, under, or around the wall that you may be facing. And, uh, you know, a lot of people have had this experience or maybe they're wrestling with something in work or their personal lives and they go for coffee with a friend and that friend may know nothing about that specialty or challenge, but yet they'll just say, why don't you do this? And you're like oh my gosh, like, that's kind of weird, but brilliantly, that could work perfectly. And it's sort of frustrating, like, you're kind of annoyed. You're like, I've wrestled with this for a long time, and this person just solved it in five minutes. <laughs> but that's what distance can do, right? It gives you that, that alternative perspective that is, is really important for creativity and innovation, particularly for people or spaces that have an, an innovation mandate and need that steady stream of new ideas. Wow. Yeah, and there's and there's so much training sort of that to counter that that thinking that yeah. it's like you said like you know be, become more and more and more experienced in this area so you're you know so you're the very best person to speak on it or become you know we said that even with uh, as as authors we said neither of us have written a book before yeah and it's sort of like okay well you need to be established authors to do this it's like you know we said we're we're for all intents and purposes we're nobodies in the in the literary world world and we said and that's actually kind of half the point is that we're not you know, seasoned, you know, C-suites that have been doing this for 30 years. You know, we've got perspectives now that we want to share that we've seen kind of entering in, in places. And we think there's a lot of value. Like, you know, we t- there's some talking in the book around, you know, kids and brainstorms and how kids have these amazing ideas because they're not sort of bound by sort of what's these, you know, these accepted code of conduct, you know, that mm-hmm. we all kind of operate within 
our own professions, with our own industries, within our own organizations. Another piece of this that I'm curious about as well is just, uh, you talk a lot about thinking like an outsider, you know, this idea of, you know, you can't see the forest when you're in the trees. I love that mm -hmm. analogy too. Um, you said that like sometimes business owners can actually think more like an outsider, even when they're in their own business. And that was really uh, amazing. But I'd love for you to elaborate on that idea, if you could. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? I think, I mean, we always say the, the biggest and best place to start with all this is just recognizing that proximity may be at play, you know, within your organization and sort of accepting that, you know, you may not always be the best person to solve challenges. I think that's really hard to as a business owner where you think you've got to have the answers to everything within your company and, and that you should know best. And, and ultimately, that's, that isn't always the case. You know, Kirsten and I, we run a marketing agency and we get outside help on our marketing because, you know, we're too close to it. And we put together content, you know, we put together our website content and we had somebody new come in and they're like, why did you make this so long? You're like, this is, you know, your marketers, like, what are you doing here? And it's that same <laughs> sort of thing. Like when you're, when you're in your own mind and you're in your own practice, we feel like we need to be the ones to do it. We need to, and, and we feel like it's a failing if we don't. So I think that's ultimately the first thing we always say to people is just kind of accept that this is not you. This is not a personal you know, issue. This is not, it doesn't reflect on your ability to ide innovate or ideate. This is just, this is a collective challenge that we all have to deal with. And then sort of look for those places, you know, within your own organization that this can, you know, can come to light. We've sort of identified, you know, a few, we say that it's really creating distance for your people so that they can, you know, everyone's got to kind of get down to the nitty gritty and get their work done. But like finding those little opportunities to, to shake things up for them is, is a really good way to start. And then same with processes that we put all these processes in place and process can end up sort of hampering our creativity as we go. And then lastly, we look at sort of the industry is that, you know, even within our own industries, it sort of acts like these own, you know, there's constraints and, and limitations within that too. So it's always just really like look for those identify like those little identifier spots and then, you know, try and uh, try and break them up, up as much as you can. Wow. Kirsten, That's incredible. You might have some something good to add to that. I got kind of on a ramble there, but. Yeah. Yeah. I think like uh, the question of how can someone create distance within their own industry, like if you are that subject matter expert, it's like, how do you get that outsider's perspective? One um, thing you can try is the next time you're meeting on solving a challenge or brainstorming a new idea, just give your business a fake name and like brainstorm for that pseudonym business of mm -hmm. yours. And that might just help remove some of those constraints or give yourself some what if scenarios, like what if, our budget was very low. What if our budget was really high? What if we could only use like one platform or resource? So put some constraints on yourself that way that are like different than the constraints you normally have. Um, yeah, and then also bring in like fresh people if possible. Like Alex mentioned, sometimes people that are new to your organization are such great resources, particularly if they came from a different space they might have like an approach or a model that worked for them somewhere else, or they might see maybe like a really simple solution to something that other people have really been wrestling with. So just kind of like shaking up those, that network of folks you go to for ideas. Um, or even like we talk about like create junior consultants within your organization. So rather than hiring an outside consultant, there might be some fresh folks, not necessarily young folks but just fresh folks within your organization where if you gave them this task of coming up with something or evaluating something or doing an analysis and and you gave them a really clear task and you gave them the resources like let someone else take it and run with it for a while and then wait and see what they come back to you with 
Wow. I love it. I really love that idea. And I remember reading it in the book too, is like rely on some of the newer people to the company to come yeah. in with more innovation or new ideas. I love that. It almost feels uh, so counterintuitive to how business is set up. It's like the top down, you know, the oh, CEO yeah. is going to have all the answers. But what I loved about what you're saying is actually um, people on all levels of the company are going to have creative input and ideas that might totally be the the solution. Yeah. So, yeah, be brilliant. When you think about that, the solution, how do you know when you've landed on something that's uh, the idea versus all these ones that you've got on the whiteboard? Like, how do you know when it's right? Oh, that's such a good question. When is it the right idea? Uh, we t we talk about something, an idea having legs. So like a good wine, you know, it has legs. Um, and so that typically means you could see and typically for people, it's like that in an instant like that, mm -hmm. like lightning moment where you're like, oh, that could work for this objective we have now, but then it could also work for this trade show that we have coming up and it could, there could be a cool application for this new website we wanted to make, or there's like a really cool product idea and we wanted to get more into the product space. So typically it's that idea that like sparks all those other spinoffs that you could make. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's one, something that is probably like really true to your organization. Like you're not like, Oh, I'm not sure if we could say that, but you're like, yes, this embodies part of what we're after our values. And it has a lot of different applications. So it's something that you could um, kind of like hammer home time and time again in a lot of unique ways, which is always great from a branding or marketing perspective is to like really hammer home that like key message or that key value or that brand promise in new and exciting ways. So yeah, typically when an idea has legs, mm -hmm. And I think we, we talk a lot around just the idea that like, you know, brave ideas get noticed as well too. And I think that's something that we've, we try and we speak to, like, I think people always talk about edgy campaigns or, you know, messaging that's, you know, controversial messaging for a company. I think we always say that if a company can, or a person can authentically, you know, own the message, then let's say the bravest thing possible. And let's say the thing that, you know, let's put the message out there. That's really going to, that's going to mean something. And that's going to, you know, in theory connect with somebody in a, in a unique way. And I think, a lot of the times that means putting something out into the world that hasn't been put out into the world before. And that process is really hard and scary for people. And I think that's a thing where, you know, it's, it's this weird sort of duality of marketing and, and creativity is that we want to put things out into the world that are different uh, to get noticed, but we're also quite scared of getting noticed because that means that we can then be, you know, if it doesn't work, we're held accountable for that. And if it's, it if offends somebody, then, you know, that's difficult for us as well too. So it's, it's a really tricky balance. And we always say like, you know, it's not, uh, it's not controversial, it's not edgy, and it's not offensive if it's authentically your story that you're telling. So if a person or organization can do that and can say, this is truly where we're coming from and this is our intent behind it, then, you know, that's often sort of a measuring stick as well too that we look at is just sort of, you know, is this, is this different? Does it connect? And, you know, again, does it, is it something that you can, you know, bravely speak about that's authentic to what you're doing? Wow. Yeah, this kind of combination of authenticity. And then, Kirsten, I also got a sense when you're speaking about this, how do you know when it's the right thing? It almost sense like an energy in the room, like there's an aliveness yeah. that seems totally. to happen, right? When you yeah. land on that, oh, this is it. Yeah. Such a high. <laughs> Another thing that sometimes is a good metric is it seems so obvious to you, you're certain it must have been done before. And then you start trying to find it, like, that line or message or idea and you're like, no, it doesn't exist or it doesn't exist in this space. And you're yeah. like, it seems so obvious. How does it not exist? But it's just because it's a perfect idea. 
and you're panic searching the internet trying to find something you're like please 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 don't uncover it like squinting at the monitor you're like i don't want to see this right oh that's so amazing well it almost at times feels like every idea has already been done like there's sort of this um this sort of doubter's mindset at times you know that that can create i I, th- I hear that theme happening even in the conversation around creativity. It's like so many of us doubt ourselves or doubt our ideas right. or doubt that this is that, like, this has already been done. This is not good enough. How do you yeah. overcome doubt in this kind of work? Oh man. Yeah. And I think there's like, there's different types of doubt. Like what Alex was speaking about with a grave idea, like doubt that people aren't going to receive it the way you intended or doubt that it's been done or doubt that someone's not going to like it or doubt that you're going to invest all these resources. It's not going to get the results you want. It's like the future is always unknown, right? And mm-hmm. you, you can't use the past as a metric to anticipate the future. And we like for some of our clients, we always pitch a stunt or an event to them. And there's always a risk with that because something bigger might happen in the news that day or something awful might happen the day before and you have to rethink it. But I mean, you you can't control those variables. All you can do is like use the knowledge you have to make the best plan for the future and then go for it and just be agile or surround yourself with people who are agile and aren't going to get stuck if, they have to change something and maybe you feel like a crippling disappointment, but someone that can help you say like, no, we can just tweak that or do this or have it over here or invite that other person or give so-and-so a call and, and we can still push this ahead. Yeah. Wow. And there, there's sort of an intent too. I think, I think if we're the clearer we are and more honest we are with our intent for what we're trying to do is then it's, then we can accept that, you know, we're going to put out campaigns or we're going to put out messages that are, our, our goal is to connect. Our goal is to make sure that we're, you know, being authentic in the way we're doing it, but we're going to mess up along the way. Yeah. And I think, you know, if brands can accept that, like, you know, brands that people are behind brands. So I think it's like, yes, brands make mistakes, people make mistakes. And it's like, if your intent is to do good and to, you know, do things correctly and to do well over time, then it gets people more comfortable with putting out iterative ideas that it's like, okay, yeah. we're going to put this out. It may not be perfect. It may not connect exactly the way we want it to, but let's take it and build off it. And it's that whole thing about sort of Kirsten was talking about that earlier around like idea protectionism is it's sort of the same, you know, it's the same thing that we think like if we have to publish an idea that is perfect and, you know, error free and that everything connects in the exact right way. But in reality, when we put that idea out there, somebody's going to then build off of it. And I think if we think about that sort of over time as yes, we see ideas that are similar to each other, but they're evolving with time and, you know, everyone's putting their own stamp on those ideas because, you know, you know, we've all story arc and there's not a billion types of story arcs. Like I think that's, and we like to see things that we're familiar with as well. So yeah. I think it's, it's being comfortable trying to put different things out there and then, and then saying, you know, we're, we're trying, we're going to try and do this and we're going to mess up sometimes along the way, but our goal is, you know, it is a good goal. Wow. At I the end that. of the day. You know, that also reminds me too, just of the competitive edge that you speak about in the book too, and the apprehension sometimes to um, to put something out because it's not going to be good enough, you know, or it might not be competitive enough. And you'd mentioned in the book, like we're in a time where things are very competitive in a sense that, you know, you, your product needs to be the best it can be um, to, to compete with everything else that it can't be just sort of good. It's got to be amazing. Mm-hmm. Um dealing with sort of that perfectionist mindset. I'm sure you have clients that walk into your your space that, you know, are really hooked on having this kind of perfect version mm-hmm. before it can be released. What's your take on that? How, how do you deal with that sort of perfect? It's got to be perfect before it goes out or otherwise it won't be competitive. We tell them just to do one small thing. Like just start yeah. small. Like either do that risky campaign, just 
in a very specific geography or for a very specific audience or a very short window. Mm. And so that way, if you do end up with egg on your face, it's just a small egg. It's not a big <laughs> egg, but most of the time you don't. And then it helps give you that confidence and momentum that you need to, mm-hmm. to do the next bigger thing. Yeah. Right. And it's sort and sometimes we'll do ba- like just having a backup plan in place for them. So we'll sort of say, okay, here's this, you know, here's a, a safer idea or one that feels kind of like, you know, more on brand or more precise to what you're looking for. And then here's this other one that's a little bit, you know, a little bit bolder, a little edgier, a little bit more out there if we want to use those words. Um, and ultimately it's like, we've got this ready to go and we want to show you. And I think a lot of the time it's that they want to make sure that, that you get them, that, you know, that we yeah. understand them and that we can show them that. So I think sometimes when we show them, we do get it. We do understand you we're not trying to steer you in a direction that's not going to be beneficial. So I think, you know, here's, here's the base and what you're after. And here's that sort of extra, like you said, that sort of, you know, might help to position you a little bit further going forward. Wow. And just hearing you guys speak about all this creativity makes me open up to this, like what I would call the quantum field of like all possibility, like anything really becomes possible. And in a lot of ways, thinking like that um, has such a amazing effect on success in in business. Um, Yeah. When you get to that point where you're in that sort of creative space, you've got all these ideas, um, how do you decide where you're going to focus? I I think this seems to be a real struggle when we start thinking creatively is we just have almost too many ideas or focuses. How do you narrow that? I'm terrible at that. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's a really, I think, I don't know. I don't know, Kirsten, if you, I mean, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this as well too, but I think the, I think the biggest thing is, you know, f- surround yourself with people. I think there's, cause there's kind of two ways you can look at it is one is it's like, stop coming up with ideas and just focus <laughs> on execution, which there's merit to that for sure. Um, and I think the second one is, is just, you know, find different connections and different people to, to carry some of those out and make sure that there's, you know, you've got to bring focus to them and you know, that there's again, that they tie to, you know, other objectives that you might have, but you know, there's always a place for ideas and it might be that you can just share those ideas with somebody else to take and execute and go with, or you can, you know, let those ideas out different ways, but, um, we don't have to always monetize them necessarily, but I think it's just surrounding yourself with people that are, you know, great at carrying out ideas and, and want to sort of, you know, piggyback on them and collaborate on them and, and recognizing that sometimes you can just have an idea and put it on a place and say, I'm going to come back to this one in six months from now. And, and if I want to do something with it, then I can, but you know, that there's value just in development of the idea. It doesn't always have to be executed. You could also ask yourself, how disappointed would you be if you didn't pursue that idea, but then someone else came to market with it? Like, would you be totally crushed if like a different brand or individual suddenly was like, here's this thing. And you're like, oh, I wanted to do that. And I didn't get around to it because I was pursuing this other thing, which in hindsight, I really don't care that much about. Maybe I just thought it was fun or neat. Um, So just try to imagine how disappointed your future self would be if you didn't do that. And then maybe that idea takes priority for a while. Wow. Those are such great tips and ideas. (laughs) I I love that. It almost sounds like an inner coach question of what would it (laughs) be like if this didn't happen? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I know. And it's hard to know like how much you would care if that hypothetical situation came around, but I don't know. It's worth a shot. It's I a good exercise for sure. We do it if we've yeah. done it on a, a number yeah. of projects and some are like, yeah, it's fine. Somebody else can take this. And some are like, no, no, we got to make sure we're the ones that do this. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> I, um, I, just before we wrap on our, our call here, I want to just uh, check in with you too, just back to the book for a minute. I really want to encourage people to read this book because it's, uh, it just gets you thinking in a completely out of, outside of the box way. And it's, it's so, it, it really is inspiring. I'm curious from your perspective as the authors of it, um, what are you hoping people are going to take away from this book? 
I think uh, we wrote it to be very practical and implementable. So if it's the kind of book that someone fills with like highlights or sticky notes and leaves in their brainstorming boardroom, like that would be the dream that it's something they can refer to or they have it on their desk at home because there's maybe like a framework or a step-by-step something in there that they can use to help like maybe get their side hustle off the ground or give some new life to something they're working on. Like if it's just very easy to refer back to, it's like I have 30 minutes to work on this and I need to shortcut to like, how do I get this done? That there's something in the book for them to quickly make that happen. They're not starting from zero. Yeah. I think, yeah. And I, I would just love to see uh, folks that read the book have a, you know, a reinstilled sense of confidence in their ability to create ideas and also to sort of, you know, get ideas through with their own organizations or, you know, feel like they can actually get something done and produced. I think that'd be, you know, that's something that we just think is is so important. And we always talk about, uh, you know, even like the idea of, you know, developing a creative project or an initiative as, you know, treating it as a professional development project and say, okay, yeah, within, within our own organization, and this is something we're trying to do at Uphouse as well as just say to, you know, our team, we want everybody on the team to launch, you know, launch something over the course of a year. It, it, it can work. It doesn't have to work, but the goal is just to go through the process of creating and then sort of seeing that through to the finish. And I think we do that so often is that we sort of, you know, we false start creativity a lot and we do that enough over time and we feel like we're no longer able to produce, you know, produce um, ideas or sort of new thinking. So I think it's just that getting people used to sort of that quick creative development, seeing things through to completion and give that kind of that sense of confidence back and uh, get them thinking a little bit differently about their businesses. Oh, so good. I feel like there's an aliveness to the book. I think that's what what really... I was trying to say, it's like, I felt so alive and inspired after being in it because it was like, oh, like anything becomes possible. And in fact, the more outside of the box I can think and and kind of get away from my regular routine or the way I'm thinking about things, like the more uh, I'm going to be effective and inspired to create too. I I really took that just from the bit I've read. I, uh, you guys are doing such amazing work. And I I just, I really want to encourage people to check out the book. um, Also to visit your website, which is a great experience in itself too. Uphouseinc.com. You guys have to go check this out. It's, um, it's just, you guys are doing amazing work. And I, you know, I think this, what you're doing doesn't just apply to business owners, to be honest. I feel like in so many ways it applies to everybody because just living a more creative lifestyle and getting out of your, your normal day thinking is just such an important part of, uh, I guess, experiencing the richness of life. And I love that you guys are really advocating for more innovation and creativity on so many levels. So thank you so much for being in our community and our world doing this great work too. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for having us. And it's it's so nice to be here and chat with you. It's always just, yeah, it's, it's perfect. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I hope you come back. There's so much, I have like so many more questions, but we're just running (laughs) out of time here. So I uh, appreciate your time today. And uh, thanks again for, for being on the podcast. Thanks Keith. Thanks Keith. All right. Well, that concludes another episode of Let's Connect. And I hope you're feeling artistically inspired after that conversation. So great to chat with Kristen and Alex today from Uphouse. And do stay in touch with them. Pick up a copy of their book, The Proximity Paradox, and visit them at their website, uphouseinc.com. Until next time, everybody, be well, be safe, stay in touch, and please join me on the next episode of Let's Connect.